Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., yes or no question for you. Okay, give me yes or no. Fake news. Does it exist? <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> of course. Of course oh it gosh. does. JJ yes. says yes. I, no, that's not. Fake I said, of news. course you were going to ask me is what I was saying. Okay. Yes. I'm going to say, does fake news exist? Yes. What is your definition is of fake news? Is it as prevalent as what everybody is claiming it is? No. <laughs> is it intentionally fake? Is I think there are some with, things out there. With malice. That's it what is. I would argue is fake news, is when you're intentionally leading people to a conclusion that's not true. Right, would you go far enough in a conspiracy theory where, you know, I remember growing up and we would always hear Russians don't ever hear the truth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> North Koreans definitely do not hear the yes, truth yeah, today. Yeah. I certainly don't think there are political government motivations behind controlling the news. Yeah, yeah. I'm not not that conspiracy guy. Yeah, I'm not that far. They're commercial motives. They're mm -hmm. trying to sell more advertising, yeah. and they've picked a demographic, and MSNBC has picked the liberals, and Fox has picked the right. But would you say that we are in a state today hmm. where we are constantly consuming propaganda? Oh, wow. Definitely very heavy one-sided perspectives. I don't know. Propaganda to me feels a little bit too it's dark. It's a strong that, word. Yeah, it's a dark word. I mean, in the sense that are they trying to undermine the American society? Are they trying to create a movement? No, they're trying to make money. So they're giving a perspective that their audience wants to hear. Right. But the, each of the, the markets are tending to, especially some of the more extreme markets, are trying to lean towards an audience that wants to hear what they have to say. So they're giving that perspective. I wouldn't say it's a false perspective as in fake news, but it is a different perspective on the same It's events. a partial perspective. Partial it's a, it's truth. A, yeah, 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 yeah. And so today's guest is Kirsten Powers, who yeah. is a longtime friend, and she was with Fox News for years. She's now with CNN. She's probably on CNN every day. Yeah. And so she's up there with Anderson Cooper and you know one of the people who give their opinions most often. Kirsten and I have had a lot of conversations. We were just together in San Diego. That's why we had her on. And we talked about all sorts of stuff, gender equality and weaponization of victimhood and all sorts of stuff that are happening in our society. She's made the news recently because she came out with an article in USA Today where she apologized for her involvement in what she would consider the toxic environment that yeah. we're in. Yeah. Huge, bold move. Yes. And yep. was attacked by people <laughs> yes. because she apologized. Because she apologized. What is fascinating to me about this topic, and sadly, JJ, I didn't do this interview in such a way that I had a framework within which we could agree or disagree or whatever. Yeah. Because it's a complicated topic to get into because I'm interested not just from our culture mm -hmm. and the news, in my opinion... Well, she will argue that the news has gotten better in yeah. some categories, and, and I'll let her get into that. But the reality is this is an economic machine. The news exists to make money. But they're using some of the tools, J.J., that you and I teach when we teach story brand. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. I'll be really honest. In my in my dissertation research, that was yeah. actually one of the questions we're we're How looking does JJ to tackle. Peterson sleep no, enough? but it is like, does this make the world a better place? Yeah. And that's actually a place that we're talking about because and here's where I genuinely do is that we talk about this all the time. Is our goal is to get the microphone in the good people's hands. Yeah, right. We want the and good guys to be heard. The framework that we use in marketing at Storybrand, the Storybrand framework in particular, 
is a tried and true formula based on story that's been developed over thousands of years, really. And so there are people who know these tactics and are using them and not always for the best motives. And we actually want people to understand this is how story works. This is how you engage the brain. This is how you move people to action. And there's so much research that says if you tell a good story, you will not only change people's thoughts, but you will ultimately move them to action. And there's two things really that I get into a little bit with Kirsten here that are from the framework. And you're going, okay, Don, how do you get people to pay? Because really what we're talking about is how do you get people to pay attention? Yeah. The news has to do it to get you to pay attention through the commercial yep. and to come back. And then we've got to do it in an email to get people to purchase a product or on our website yep. or in commercials and those kinds of things. So the two things that the news uses most often that I see from our framework is one, to find a villain. Mm-hmm. You know, villain is a very important part of a story. Yeah. They're captivating, right? We love a villain. We don't love a villain. We hate yep. a villain, but we love to hate a villain, yep. <laughs> I should say. And the other thing is lead with the problem. Yep. Well, Kirsten Powers is a wonderful interview because, one, she's been involved in the system for a long time. Yep. Two, she's very good at it. Three, she actually has a very positive perspective on the news. She yeah. would say, no, journalistic integrity is alive and well. Yeah. Then she would be self-aware enough to say, look, I'm not proud of some of the ways that I behaved on the air and on Twitter in terms of creating and sustaining a toxic culture. And then she actually came out and apologized for it. And, you know, there's talk of giving her a show in which she would actually have two opposing sides having a nuanced conversation in which they try to understand each other. I know. Believe me, we'll get behind that show if it happens. (laughs) But, you know, it's just fascinating to me. I'm a news junkie. Yeah. And I see as much of the story brand framework on how to get people to pay attention as I watch news as I do in any television commercial. Yeah. It's, you know, it's fascinating to me. Kirsten will call me on this. She'll say I'm a little (laughs) bit cynical, but, uh, you know, that's okay. We each have our own opinion. (laughs) So I don't want to wait any longer. Here's my interview with Kirsten Powers, ladies and gentlemen. Kirsten, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here. Hey, I remember, man, it's probably 15, 20 years ago, I took a year off of television. I didn't watch television for a year. And then I turned it on when I was done, and I felt like it had completely changed, or maybe I just forgot what television was. But news was gone. It was different than it ever was before, and it really did feel like sensationalism. I mean, it was normal news, but it was everything was just being hyped. Before I took a year off television, if it said breaking news on the television, it was because a tornado had touched down, right? It wasn't because of, you know, some mild story. So that has all changed. And I'm wondering, in your time in the news, you were at Fox, and then you're, you know, now you're on CNN. And even before that, you were writing. In your time in news, have you seen it changed? Or Am I smelling the wrong thing here? Is that not true? Well, I think it's definitely changed. I mean, I would sort of look over my adult life. So like when I was working in the Clinton administration, there was CNN, and that was pretty much it. I think Fox News started in 1998. I don't know when MSNBC started, but definitely the sort of 24-hour news cycle thing wasn't existing back then. What did that do to the economic structure that existed that was news? You know, I mean, what did three 24-hour news stations do to this supply and demand for stories? Well, so there's good and there's bad, right? So the good is that gave people a little more time, I think, to do their stories. You're still having to turn things around fairly quickly. But basically, when the papers went to bed, that was it, right? Until 
the next day you would start working on your story. So there would be some time to cover things. And then also there wasn't this expectation that you had to have this immediate hot take, right? Forget about, I mean, now we have to have it within an hour, you know, or if you're writing it, if you're on TV, it's within a minute. There was just more time to actually, you could spend days, you could spend, you know, weeks or whatever, right? Working on something. So there wasn't an expectation that you have to have immediate news. I think the downside of it is, it was very narrow, right? It was very limited to what those groups of people thought were important. And if you were interested in another perspective outside of that, you could have been, now a lot of conservatives would say, oh, everybody looks back to the great days of Walter Cronkite and they say, well, you know, we don't really see it that way. We think our views were largely kept out of that. If you talk to people who are on the left, you know, whether they're feminists or, you know, activists of different time, they would also say, we don't really feel like our views were being represented. This was a very middle of the road establishment kind of view of the world. So I think there was a much narrower viewpoint represented. And it was back then overwhelmingly white male. I mean, you don't look back at the glory days of news and remember things used to be so balanced and objective. You would actually say, even then, this was a white male perspective on the world. 100%. Yeah. So you think 24-hour news cycle has actually improved, at least in one category, and that is perspective on what is happening, perspectives on current events. Because there's more opportunity for more people, right? There's now more slots that have to be filled on TV. There's more columns that need to be written. There's more of a hunger. It's the same thing with social media, right? Twitters can be very, very toxic. Without Twitter, I don't think we would have had the Me Too movement. Right. You know, I think that you have to kind of look at the, there's the good and there's this bad that it gives, you wouldn't have the Black Lives Matter movement. Really, these voices just weren't heard. Whatever you think of these movements, this gave them, you know, an opportunity to have their perspective. And for conservatives, it gives them a place to kind of come out when they say the mainstream media isn't covering things the way they should be covering it. It gives them a way to express that view in a way that reaches a mass audience. Whereas before you would have had to convince a reporter at the Washington Post, right, right to write about your concern. And they're just not going to do that. Which a story in the Washington Post is the equivalent of about 90 seconds of airtime. And they have the luxury of only having to do that once a day. And I would imagine in order to fill 24 hours worth of news, and I'm a news junkie. I tend to watch a lot of it, including C-SPAN on Sunday morning, which is a hidden treasure, I think. But the fact that you've got to be on the news 24 hours, it's not just that you're presenting the news 24 hours a day. You have to be interesting 24 hours a day. And the reality is the truth isn't always very interesting opinions about the truth might be interesting, but the truth actually isn't very interesting. Do you ever find yourself in a situation or do you ever feel pressured or are you just the sort of person who sees the world where you say, well, of course, Don, facts are interesting. The White House is always interesting. Congress is always interesting. If you can't see that this is interesting, you're not looking at it very accurately. Or do you find yourself saying, this shouldn't be on the news, but I've got to have an opinion on it because I got to get a paycheck today. Where are you in that spectrum from day to day? In other words, have you ever had to hype something and sensationalize it and care more about something than you actually think it was worth caring about? I would say there's things that I, you know, wouldn't probably, I can't think of right off the top of my head, but I know there are times when I'm kind of thinking, "Ah, I don't really think this is that important. I have to say that that's not the norm, though. I mean, most of the time I think, you know, what we're talking about is relevant and it's important. And then sometimes I think, you know, we've overdone this or, okay, is this really rise to the level of, you know, us talking about it. 
but I wouldn't say that that's a norm. I never feel pressure to hype anything. I never feel pressure to do anything, frankly. Um, I don't think anyone's pressured into doing anything. I think people do what they want to do because they choose to do it. A friend of mine asked a Fox News anchor recently or a booker, you know, somebody who books people on the news. And so what do you look for in terms of people that you would bring on the news again and again and again, you know, to share their opinion? And she said one word, confidence. We're just looking for confidence. So I'm sure intelligence is part of that and objectivity is part of that and all that kind of stuff. But really, it's confidence that really sells. And that made me think, okay, a lot of the smartest people who have the best opinions probably are not made for television. What I'm trying to tease out here is, is there damage being done to our culture because our brains have been trained for hype, 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 argument, 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 open story loop, open story loop, open story loop, rather than sort of PBS style would be the closest we could point to. Let's actually talk about an issue that nobody else is talking about for 20 full minutes. Yeah, well, that's my preference, and that's what I would rather be doing and would rather be listening to. But yes, I think that, I don't think it's just 24-hour news. I think it's the internet. I think it's social media. I think it's all these things that have caused us to have short attention spans and not be able to pay attention to things for very long. So people do want their news in small bites and or a lot of people do not all people and also you have to remember people do both right they'll watch a little cable news then they'll listen to a podcast i would just always say to people like don't just sit in front of cable news all day like if it's a source that you go to that's fine but you should have other sources and you should be consuming news in different ways so i don't think there's anything inherently bad about it and i also think even seeing cable news is kind of Fox is different from CNN, is different from MSNBC. They're not all doing exactly the same thing. They definitely have very different perspectives. Yeah, but do I wish that we could go deeper? Yeah, absolutely, you know. But I don't know the first thing about programming TV or running a right. TV yeah, station. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have, I have no idea. So I just know what I like to consume. I was watching a, a Trump press conference. This was in, uh, I believe it was in New York City for something. He made a passing comment and he said something like, hey, you know, there are things I know about senators that, you know, would get them in trouble too, right? We've all done some bad things. And I may call them on that someday or something like that. I mean, it was a very sort of tongue in cheek. I would never take that literally if we were having a casual conversation. I realize he's the president, so he can't talk that way. The next morning, I read an article that says Trump threatens Democrats with juicy details of their private life or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, did he do that? And I read the article, and they pulled this quote from the news conference that I watched. And I just thought, you would have to really jump through hoops to have that view of what he said. In other words, the journalist took what he said and had an angle on it that would be the absolute most sensational to get people to read the article. But it's very deceiving, because that's actually not what Trump was saying or not what he meant I'm curious as to your take, first of all, on that, because this is a, the podcast that we do is about marketing. It's about opening story loops, about getting people to pay attention. And that has a dark side to it. If you have a, a service that is going to save lives and you want to educate people about it and communicate clearly, that's great. If you just want to take people's money and be sensationalist and do a bunch of hype and scare them into buying a product, you can also do that. I would call that the dark side of marketing. And more and more what I'm seeing in the news is the dark side of marketing. It's dark spin in order to captivate somebody's attention. Then you get into the weeds on it, and you just go, that's actually not what this story is about at all. This is a serious exaggeration. 
Do you see that in your line of work or am I uh, doing what I'm accusing others of doing and I'm being sensationalistic about the news? I think maybe. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I just don't. So it's funny when you just told that story, I actually heard Trump threatening. Oh, so you heard it. I should have the clip. I think Trump, even tongue in cheek, it's still a veiled threat, right? I mean, because why wouldn't he? I mean, what doesn't he do, right? (laughs) I mean, it's not like, oh, it's so outlandish to think that Donald Trump would ever do this. So it's not a threat like he's threatening to kill somebody, but it's kind of not, again, it goes back to how do we expect our presidents to behave? And I think that you know, normally that wouldn't be the type of thing a president would be talking about. You know, I know bad things about senators and I could out them. But I think the bigger thing is, okay, just to take a step back, obviously I don't program the news. So I can only tell you based on what it's like to be me being on TV pretty much every day, coming in, what's asked of me and what I observe. Now, maybe there's some big thing going on behind the scenes that I don't know about, but I have never been encouraged to hype something or to make something more salacious than it was. That's actually really comforting to hear. The other argument would be, well, they only hire people who are able to make binary statements that actually stir up a little bit of drama because it is entertainment. You have to be entertained by the news, and there's nothing wrong with the news being entertainment. Most people who are really into politics, it's how they operate. I would say you don't have to do it because I don't do it. And I've been pretty successful, right? I often see the other side of things. I I certainly don't like go out of my way to be like hyping things. So I I think everybody decides to do what they want to do. And they're mostly doing it because it's just the way they are. It's just how they see the world. I don't think it's nefarious. Even if what you said in that example was true, let's just say we both heard it one way. I would say, I think that reporter just heard it another way. I don't think that they're like thinking, ooh, I'm going to take this and turn the volume up and exaggerate it. Now, what I want to say is who does do that is editors. Are you talking about print editors? Yeah, in my experience, because they're the ones who are packaging it, right? Like you're giving the product to them, like it's done. And then it's like they're deciding like, how are we going to like put this out there in a way that's going to get the most attention? So then they have to think about like, what's the headline we're going to put on it? What? And this is a constant tension I mean, anybody who writes columns will tell you, you know, well, I'll be constantly arguing about the headline saying, you know, that's not my point. So often, if you were to go to some of my columns and be like, wow, Kirsten made a huge statement and read the column, I'm actually not as out there as the headline is. And you've actually changed my mind about something that happened in my history. Maybe a few years ago, I had a journalist come by, brought me a bottle of moonshine that he had made, which I did not drink, but he said I could run my lawnmower off of it. You know, a kind (laughs) guy, a disheveled writer kind of guy. And so I enjoyed the conversation very much. I mean, we just talked about the pivot in my career from writing memoirs to starting a business, these sorts of things. And I thought, you know, I need to do more of these. I usually say no to these things because I don't trust these guys, but I need to do more. There's some good writers. Well, the article comes out, and the headline is, Has Donald Miller Sold Out for Money? That's literally the headline of the article. (laughs) And then you read the article, and the answer is, not really. Uh, And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if you say it in the article. The headline is damage enough, right? And so you would blame that maybe on the editor and not my moonshine buddy. Yeah, he didn't write it. I mean, people don't write their headlines. It's very unusual if they do. It's so close to marketing, though, Kirsten. I mean, you know, we'll have copywriters turn stuff in, and I'll say, no, let's change the subject line of that email to this because we're going to get more clicks if we call it. It's very similar, and ultimately you have to sell the news. On this note, there's two really things I want to talk to you about based on what you just said. One is... Why do we have this tendency to create villains or to create caricatures of people in order to make 
the news more interesting. That's one thing. And two, of course, I don't think truth is dead. But does truth matter as much anymore as it used to? I think it's so hard to even figure out what is true in some ways in the news. Is that because we've evolved as a culture and understood truth is more complicated? Or is it, have we evolved negatively as a culture and we just don't care anymore? I think some people don't care, but I think a lot of people care a lot. Often what I see is conservatives claiming or liberals claiming, you know, whatever news outlet that they don't like isn't covering the news correctly because they aren't basically presenting it in the way that they see it. And my point is like, how do you do that when everybody sees it differently? But the, what has evolved is a segregation of perspectives on the world, right? So MSNBC, you know, Mike McCarg, who's our mutual friend, pointed me to a story recently that talked about how people can get addicted to outrage, that literally when you sense outrage, a little bit of serotonin can seep through your amygdala and you sense pleasure and you want more of that pleasure. So you're actually looking to be outraged every day, which is fascinating if you think about it. But if I watch Fox News, it, sometimes I would accuse them of selling outrage to the right. And if I watch MSNBC, selling outrage to the left. Is that just a cynical view of the news or do you think I'm onto something? I guess the question is what's motivating it, right? And I think that... Because I can't impugn their motives, but that just... Well, I just don't like. know. And the other thing is, you know, the news is made up of individual people. So every individual person is doing different things. I mean, I worked at Fox, so I can say that the people were saying what they sincerely believed. You know, people are sort of like, oh, Roger Ailes made everybody... Is that Roger was not making them do that. I mean, he, like, they are conservative. This is what they think. So was it being programmed in a way to be interesting and create outrage? It sure looked that way to me. <laughs> right. Again, I can never say for 100%, but that certainly seemed to be what was going on, at least from the perspective, I think, of Roger Ailes. But for the individual people, I don't think they were going to work in the morning and thinking like, hey, let's stir up some outrage. I think they were <laughs> thinking, hey, let's cover the news. But the topics are sort of programmed from the top and the narrative, and so... There's definitely one perspective given for the most part. We'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with Kirsten Powers in just a moment. We have a new free resources called Skyrocket Your Profit. It's at skyrocketyourprofit.com. I keep seeing the same mistakes in people's marketing efforts. They're making the same five mistakes. And so we just put together a video series where I sat down and explained one by one what those mistakes are and why they are costing you money. If you have a company, if you lead a company, if you are in charge of marketing or messaging for a company, this is gonna help you a great deal. You don't need an MBA in marketing to actually do effective marketing. You just need to stop making the same five mistakes that everybody else is making. Go to skyrocketyourprofit.com right now and explore the five mistakes most everybody is making in their marketing. And I'll tell you some really easy ways to fix them so that your marketing gets humming again and actually makes your company money. Go to skyrocketyourprofit.com. You wrote an article in USA Today recently, and you talked about a problem that relates to what we're discussing here. You know, this creation of the villain, this outrage that we have that Kevin Hart said the things that he said in his tweets so long ago, on and on and on, especially with the Me Too movement, with homophobic statements, especially amongst comedians, with inappropriate behavior amongst men. You actually talked about this idea that we have created scapegoats as a culture 
Well, let me just read what you say. In the Bible, a scapegoat was an animal burdened with the sins of others through a ritual, then driven away. This is, in effect, what our society does when we designate certain people to bear our collective sins. Once it is discovered that a person behaved in a racist, homophobic, or misogynist way, often in the distant past, she is banished from society, creating a sense that something has been accomplished, that somehow there has been an atoning because someone was punished. And I am equally, in fact, Betsy and I talked about this this morning, I'm equally troubled by this. Complete dismissal of a human being, and let's use them as though we're completely shocked that this happened, and offer no forgiveness, even when they stand and say, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry. Think about Kevin Hart hosting the Oscars a million times, I'm sorry, and finally just said, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. Right. And then when Ellen came to his defense, then she got pilloried. If Ellen doesn't have the standing to say, look, he's sorry, let's move on, then who does? So I think, yeah, there is something very troubling and it's, well, like I just said there, I do really think there's an unconscious thing going on where people are feeling like, oh, we have these bad things in our, our past, so let's find a couple people, execute them, and then kind of move on, right? And so we can feel like we're doing something when we're not really doing anything. That's not really fixing any problems. It's putting a burden on these people that they don't deserve. They deserve to be held accountable for what they did. They don't deserve to be held accountable for segregation, right? You know what I mean? Like, or for police brutality or the big things that have happened and that are happening in our society. So I am concerned about also the fact that, I don't know, you. I have these conversations with people and they often will say, well, I would never do that, or I grew up during that era and I didn't do that, so therefore, you know, they're a terrible person. Which you're right. You know, we talked about this when we were together recently. We talked about this tendency that we're in in culture right now to weaponize our victimhood. And that is to actually say, okay, I'm so deeply offended by this, but I'm not going to forgive this person because if I forgive this person, it takes away the power that I have over them. But the problem is it doesn't actually create compromise or create repentance or create change to do that. It just creates these binary teams. And literally the only end to these binary teams having their different opinions is one side. If you're not going to talk and you're not going to compromise, you're not going to understand, you're not going to forgive, the only other solution is that one team just kills the other. That's the only other solution to the problem, which isn't going to happen. So I see it being systemic. And getting back to the point, I also see cable news contributing to this. You have talked about in hopes, and maybe I think a lot of us would hope that you would have this opportunity, a show that's different, a show that where you could actually sit down and have these more thoughtful conversations, which I hope you get that show someday. What would your objective be there? What would you be trying to do in American culture? Because a show like this is extremely important. Would you be trying to heal the country or trying to say, hey, we've got to hear things from both sides? Or why is that such a big part of your heart? Why write this article in USA Today? And why want a show like that? Well, I think part of what you said, I think it would be healing. And I think it would be, I always, one of the things I always say I would like to do is have a show that where we talk about people's best argument, because usually when you watch a lot of arguments is people are always arguing with the other person's worst argument, right? right? So it's right. always like a straw man argument and it's like, but nobody's actually talking about what people really believe. And so it's a caricature, like these caricatures are kind of battling with each other and to actually have, you know, people with different ideas, having a chance to really talk in depth and have it moderated, you know, by a person who is respectful of both perspectives, even if I think people know where I kind of fall, you know, I, mm -hmm. I definitely have a kind of left of center viewpoint, but I, that's just my worldview, right? I don't think that I'm like a hundred percent right about everything. And I'm interested in facilitating debates. And I think I've always wanted to do a show like this, but now more than ever, because I just feel like we have just gotten into like a really scary 
space in this country right now where I'm not saying we've never been this divided as a country, but we've never been this divided in my adult lifetime, I guess, you know, when I was a kid, maybe, but I, I don't remember it was happening. And I just feel like it really has gotten to a point where there's actual, like, you know, real hatred right. of each other. And violence. You've said to me recently, you have often feared for your life after receiving threats. and Yeah. And I, that's never happened. And, and a lot of people on the right would tell you the same thing. But, you know, people who aren't even really like super conservative, just sort of some conservatives I know who have had to deal with this. So it's and over things that are just like I criticize Trump or something. Right. I mean, it's not you just think this is so out of proportion mm -hmm. to what's happening. Yeah. I was thinking about the other day. I was trying to think back. Had I ever felt legitimately frightened? And I wouldn't say until the last year and a half, probably not. I was talking to our friend Josh Dubois and Joshua said really what's happened in the last few years is what was already in us has been revealed. Oh, 100 percent. But you know yeah. what? I contended with him. Huh. And I'm curious as to your take on yeah. this. I said, Joshua, I don't think that it was always there. I think it has been created inside of people. It hasn't just given permission to be released. You know, you could have taken that audience and leaned them more toward objective truth, more toward compassion, more toward compromise, or you could have leaned them more toward anger, hostility, hatred, and fear. And I think there were principals who leaned them toward, on both sides, on the left and right, who took an audience and, for their own political gain, leaned them toward hatred, arrogance, fear, and tribalism, all that kind of stuff. What I was reacting to with Joshua, though, was, Joshua, you're letting them off the hook. You're actually saying, well, it was always in them. No, no, no. There are powerful people who actually not didn't bring it out of them. They instigated it. They created it in them when you could have created something else. And that's why I think your show is important, because I think actual money and time and energy needs to be intentionally put in creating in people this ability to be objective, to understand somebody else's perspective, to be able to admit you might be wrong, and to be able to sit down and have a casual conversation with somebody that you disagree with that doesn't end in anger, tribalism, or the defense of self. Yeah, okay, well, if anyone's listening and they want to fund it, There call you me. go. <laughs> there you go. No, but I think that's a really interesting take on that because I have had Josh's perspective, which is this is an apocalyptic time, right? In the Greek, it means an uncovering or, you know, an unveiling, basically. And so, basically, Trump has sort of ushered in this apocalyptic time where we now see things that we weren't really seeing before. Sometimes I, you know, hear people say, oh, I just can't believe that person, you know, is doing that or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but they probably always thought that. We're just now in a world where it's okay to say these things. Yeah, perhaps I'm the eternal optimist. We have to take responsibility and say, hey, it wasn't just in them. You created it in them. You actually instigated it. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And I think that, you know, I always go back and forth. It's kind of like a theological view, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're all kind of inherently... Yeah, it's probably some of both. Yeah, and so kind of left to our own devices, we will often not make the best choices. That's why I think there is something to what you're saying, though, is that you can see when people get caught up in, it's almost like they go into a trance, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when there's a leader that can get people just kind of, you know, into a space, and then later on, they'll look back on it and won't understand what they were doing. And that's where I send some hope, that if there could be voices that turn the pendulum and swing it back in the direction of fairness and compromise and unity, I think that that's a good thing. And we saw that happen in Germany post-World War II. All these years later, Angela Merkel is taking a million people, million Syrian refugees. You have to wonder if that wouldn't happen, or if that would have happened if it weren't for the pendulum swinging back in German culture. And hopefully someday we would be able to look back, and I would hope that you're an instigator of this, 
and go, wow, I can't believe we said some of the things that we said, or we experienced this resurgence of the 1950s and 60s in terms of our opinions about our fellow man. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, Robert and I were actually talking about this right before I came on here, my fiance, because in this piece that you were citing, I talk about how I really took a look back at the last 10 years of my writing, and Mm -hmm. I wasn't really happy with a lot of what I saw. And I was kind of like, what was going on there? What was I thinking? And so I do think you're right. People get caught up in in the moment, right? Yeah. And this is the cause and you're going to, you know, speak truth or whatever, you know, whatever you're thinking and to really take a step back from it and kind of evaluate what you're doing. Well, Kirsten, I'll end this conversation with a quote from your article in the USA Today. We also need to create a culture of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation that is based on those who have made mistakes, taking responsibility for those errors, however grievous, and working toward righting the wrong in which they participated. Well, here's to you getting a show that we can all watch. <laughs> Thank uh, you. In which that is Your done. Your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're one of the good ones out there, Kirsten. We're grateful that you spent time with us. Oh, thanks, Don. It's a hopeful interview. Yeah, it really is. She's always been seen as a balanced perspective, mm -hmm. and that's a rare thing. I, yeah. I remember, you know, she's considered very, very far left. Yep. And I was so proud of her. There was some leaker in the White House who leaked something, and Trump said, basically, I want his head on a platter. Yeah. And everybody was coming out. This guy wrote a uh, man or woman, nobody knows who it is, wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times saying, we tried to fire him. There's some people on the inside who are trying to get rid of him yeah. and who are not giving him information. Yeah. You know, and most people were just like, wow, that administration is really screwed up. Thank God for this guy. And Kirsten Powers, a left-leaning liberal, <laughs> said, his head should be on a platter. You're talking about <laughs> betraying the yeah. guy you work for. Yeah. Every once in a while, she just throws something out there, and I go, oh, yeah, she actually has a balanced she objective. She works really hard. She works hard to do that. Yep. Listen, if you want to change the news, I think what we have to do is keep saying, look, we're tired of the news actually creating a culture of binary thinking, anger, hostility, tribalism. That's where it's all gone, and I think partly because of that's some powerful people who've brought that out in us or even instigated it and created it in us. And partly it's because there's an economic machine called the 24-hour news cycle that makes a lot of money sustaining it. Yep. We need to support people like Kirsten who are trying to do something about that. So thanks so much, Kirsten. Okay, everybody, music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest EP, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>